0: This sermon, God's Plan, Our Participation, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, March 20th. Well, good morning. Can you open up your Bibles to Acts 8, verse 26? If you're visiting with us, we are preaching through the first 12 chapters of Acts. And just like we spent a three-week series looking at Stephen's role in the early church. Uh, well, we're on the third week now of Philip. Um, both men who, according to Acts 6, had the call, the diaconic call on their lives. And so this will be our third week with Philip, and then we're going to leave him behind uh, and turn our attention to a man named Saul next week. But today... We look at God and his work in and through Philip. Would you stand with me? Let's read verses 26 through 40. Luke continues the story of how the early church grew through the advancement of the gospel and the power of the Spirit. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip... Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Kandasi, Kandasi, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, "'About whom, I ask you, does this prophet say?' This about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. You may be seated. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Spirit of God, Oh, we are grateful to be here this morning, but not just to be here this morning, but to be here as your beloved children, forgiven, justified, our hearts and our place in heaven sealed by your spirit, not because of what we've done or or where we came from or, or how we were brought up, but for one reason and one reason alone. Amazing grace. Your unrelenting love that pursued us even before the foundations of the world marked us. So then indeed we would be right here this morning. So we pray now that you would have your way in us. Spirit, fill us freshly. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts of wonder and grant us the grace to go from this place and live according to what we've heard this morning in Jesus name amen well today's text in my opinion is one of the most fascinating stories in the book of acts when you think about it it has everything I mean, as we read that, didn't the providence of God, that is God working in every detail, didn't the providence of God in numerous places just jump off the page? The Spirit supernaturally directing Philip's every move, it seems. We're going to learn that, that this is when Africa enters the gospel mission. In fact, the man that Philip preaches a gospel to, he was an ethnically and ritually unclean man, cut off from God's people twice, and yet he gets saved. Of course, in the final verses, there's the epic in fine Star Trek fashion. Philip is suddenly teleported to another city. But wait, there's more. There's even a verse missing. Did you notice that? There's even a verse missing. Did you notice that you go from 36 to 38? There is no verse 37. Most translations omit verse 37. Some will include it, but they bracket it, meaning meaning that this there's doubt that this was part of the original text. The New King James Version, which includes the verse, the, the missing verse reads this, Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So if that verse is not in your Bible or if it's bracketed, it, it, it's because it was absent. It was missing from the earliest and the best transcript, manuscripts. It, 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 it was probably put there. It first showed up around the 6th century, and many people believe it was, it was a scribe who added it to make sure that the church understood that to be baptized, you needed to have a profession of faith first, perhaps as a response to the story about Simon that we looked at last week. So our text acts at all. From teleporting to different cities, to missing verses, to the gospel going to Africa. Our text has it all. And and of course, we can't possibly cover it all. So if we only spend one Sunday in this story, here's the point this morning. God has a plan. Are we listening? God has a plan. Are we listening? God is on a mission. By grace, he has brought us along into that mission. And he's the one working. Oh, we don't understand it, but he chooses to include us. Are we listening? I I actually forgot to print this, but I wanted to read something by John Piper who looks at this text and, and really explains how the point is this. The point is, is that God in this story is showing us different ways, a different way that He evangelizes sinners through His people. Up until this oftentimes we, we we evangelize, we're very intentional, we're building relationally, we're looking for opportunities and moments, and that is certainly one way that we evangelize. Then he goes on to say, but this story reminds us. That we need to be ready to respond to the voice of the Spirit who, in a moment's notice, says, open your mouth and tell that person about Jesus. So that's where we are going this morning. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks, we've been witnessing revival, haven't we? Uh, not in Jerusalem, but, all, but in all places. Samaria. Christians scattered from Jerusalem because of Saul's great persecution of the church, and now we don't know if they went with family, we don't know what kind of uh, possessions they went with, but they, we know this, they went with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And wherever they fled for safety, they went preaching, and all of this, of course, according to the great promise in chapter 1, verse 8, that you will, the Spirit will come and empower you to be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem, Not just in Judea, but in Samaria and in all the earth. And and now we're in Samaria. And of course, at the heart of the Spirit's work in Samaria is this man named Philip. Philip is is a deacon completely sold out to his local church. And suddenly he finds himself, if you will, as the frontline man in the Samaritan revival. The Spirit is using... Philip, the gospel is reaching many people and many people are being saved. So it's a bit perplexing when we read verse 26 that says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then he adds this detail. And pay attention to detail by the author. He simply says, this, this way I tell you to go, is a desert place. Just as things are really starting to happen in Samaria, an angel of the Lord speaks to Philip, telling him, leave. He's the chief evangelist leave Samaria and go to Gaza. Now Gaza was, was one of the five great Philistine cities. I promise you it was not a friendly place to go preach the gospel. And, and, and to get there, the road was dangerous and desolate. It was dangerous because it was so desolate and so humanly speaking, we, we read about what's happening in Samaria. We read about how, how the Spirit is using Philip. And humanly speaking, verse 26 doesn't sound very strategic. doesn't to me. It's probably not the way I would write the script. Sinners are being saved. Where? In Samaria. You know what that means? That means new Christians need to be discipled. Where? In Samaria a church a church needs to be established in samaria that means leaders need to be equipped, identified equipped and put into place in samaria i mean when you read about what's going on in samaria i could see philip thinking samaria the new gospel hub for god's mission go to gaza Leave a fruitful ministry behind? God's work so clear, so powerful, so broad, so many people being affected. And did you notice? God didn't give Philip any details, he didn't give him a reason, no reasoning, no objective. No strategy, no details, no promises. God speaks to Philip and simply says, Trust me and go. You know, what oftentimes seems like a poor strategy or pointless to you and I, to God is infinite wisdom. And that's what we're going to see here. And I think, I think that, uh, did you notice, did you notice right at, 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 in verse 27, look at the very next words, it begin. Philip got up and went. You know, you know what I think Philip knew? <laughs> First of all, he knew he served a holy and sovereign God. <laughs> if God, if God tells us to do something, we should probably do it. I think Philip remembered something that we often forget. At least I know I often forget. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord seems very unwise what seems hurtful destructive to the mission to me god says no 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 i have a plan and i don't think like you now of course i think philip got this and he obediently listens to the to the leading to the directing of the lord and what would happen, he could have never imagined. He could have never imagined or planned for what God was about to do. Look at verse 27. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candice, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, probably not like (laughs) Ben-Hur, he probably had a bit of a convoy, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. This is a desolate desert. Luke makes sure that we understand that right up front. Where I'm sending you, it's a desert place. It's desolate. And here, in following the Lord's directive, Philip runs into an African VIP. And before we get into the amazing providence of God here, I want us to understand a little bit about this man. He, Luke tells us that he was, he was an Ethiopian. That is, he lived in the ancient area of Cush, which which is really, for us, modern-day Ethiopia and Sudan, if you know the map. Back then, Ethiopia would have been a much bigger, represented in a much bigger area. But to the Roman Empire, guess what Cush was? It was considered the edge of the world, or one might say the end of the earth, if you know what I mean. This man was a man of considerable importance and means. Luke tells us that he was over the queen's treasure, her minister of finance, if you will. He had a pretty important job. He was a trusted man. He was probably compensated well. We learn from Luke's description that he was a God-fear devoted to Judaism. He was a spiritual man, a religious man. I mean, he had traveled, he had traveled from Northeast Africa to Jerusalem to worship. And now Philip runs into him on his return home. But you know what? Despite his spiritual devotion, here's a really, here's the most important thing about this Ethiopian he was ethnically. And ritually unclean. You know, in the woke, in the language of woke nonsense today, they like to call that intersectional, okay? He's got a couple different hits against him. He is, first, a Gentile, and therefore, cut off from God's covenant people. Second, He was a eunuch, an emasculated man. Parents, I'll let you explain that one at home over lunch today. He was a eunuch. And as a eunuch, according to Deuteronomy 23.1, he was forbidden to join the assembly of God's people in the temple, in the tabernacle. So... Here's what I want you to understand about this Ethiopian in the desert. He's a religious, he's a religiously devoted man. He has just spent days worshiping in whatever way he could in Jerusalem. But he is a religious outsider longing to be on the inside. What, What one can Only imagine, as he makes this trip, this lonely, dusty trip, home, the disappointment and the frustration of being in Jerusalem. He's well aware that he is twice cut off from God's people. He is well aware he can do nothing to become ritually clean. He is well aware of how those in Jerusalem looked at him and that made that made the book of Isaiah the perfect book for him to be reading I, We love to focus on Isaiah 53, and we will in a moment, but I I, want to just take a trip real quick uh, because there's something in, in the surrounding chapters that is so important to understand the momentous moment that we're at here. Flip your Bibles to Isaiah 52, Isaiah 52. If you have my Bible, it's on page 780. I don't know how helpful that is. (laughs) If you're unfamiliar with Isaiah 52, it's a wonderful passage that declares that there is a new day of salvation and blessing that the Lord is going to bring to the world. In verse 10, it says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. That sounds a lot like Acts 1-8, doesn't it? If you look at Acts 54, uh, if you look at Isaiah 54... We see the nature of God's unmatched blessing in salvation. That it is eternal and it is unchanging. Again, notice what verse 10 says. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love, that is this coming salvation that chapter 52 speaks of, my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Look at Isaiah 55, once again, a chapter that, it, 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 is, this, it is this divine invitation. It's a divine invitation for anyone, anyone to enter into this promised and eternal blessings that come from this salvation the Lord will bring to the ends of the earth. Notice in in, uh, chapter 55, verses one through three, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat, Listen that if you're here this morning and you wonder can God actually love me? Can my sins, even the secret ones that nobody knows about and I live day and night bearing the shame and guilt for, can God can God love me? Chapter 55. Come Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. In other words, you don't have to bring anything to the table. Just come. It's the prophetic word earlier. Just come in the name of Jesus. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. And then there's Isaiah 56 Emphasizing this salvation and clarifying the anyone of chapter 55. And listen, I'm coming here because I can only imagine that the eunuch has been reading these chapters. Chapter 56, look at verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And listen to this. And let not the eunuch say. That's not symbolic. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. I I believe that... we can imagine how dry this eunuch felt coming from Jerusalem. He goes on to say, For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves, that includes the eunuch, to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted at my altar. What? I get to enter in? Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others besides those already gathered. What, 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 What hope the eunuch must have had as he reads from his personal scroll? I don't know where he got it. Maybe he took it with him. Maybe he bought it at the local synagogue in Jerusalem. But as he reads his personal scroll of Isaiah, and he reads about this eternal blessing and salvation in the Lord, not just for the ethnic Jew, but for anyone. And then he gets to 56, and he finds out, even an unclean eunuch like me. But he's just been in Jerusalem. He's acutely aware that whatever this, whatever the prophet Isaiah is talking about, he hasn't found it. How? He knows all too well the rules of the temple. When? He was just in Jerusalem, an outsider. Though his heart beats with devotion to Yahweh. Answer Isaiah fifty three. Look back to Acts. Look at verse twenty nine. And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. Philip has no idea what's about to happen. So I love this. So Philip ran. And he is tuned in to the voice of the Spirit. And he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand? what you're reading. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture he was reading was this. And these two verses, this is Isaiah 53 verses seven and eight. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In this humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, and I'm sure with much anticipation, Whom, about whom, I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him about the good news of Jesus. Providence. Clear providence. This man is returning from Jerusalem on the same lonely, deserted road. The Spirit told Philip to take to Gaza. Their paths cross Philip the evangelist and the unclean eunuch. For the second time, did you notice Philip emphasizes the Spirit's leading, verse 29, when he says, And the Spirit said, Go over there and join him. And Philip. Once again, no idea what God's plan was. How awkward of a moment. I don't know the guy. Is he safe? I'm out in the middle of the desert. What if something happens? He obediently listens to the Spirit. And as he runs over to this man, he hears him reading aloud. That was customary. People read aloud out loud. He heard him reading out loud, arguably the clearest messianic text in all of the Old Testament. Let's just pause here for a moment and acknowledge there are no accidents or coincidences in the lives of God's people. At the leading of the Spirit, Philip arrives at just the right time. And he asks a simple question. He overcomes his fears. Do you understand? And in my pride, I would have looked at Phil and said, well, of course I do. But this man's humility, the Ethiopian's humility, and his hunger for God is on clear display as he desperately appeals. I don't. I need help. I want to. And then he asks a really good exegetical question. Right, youth? This year we're doing... A series in youth, we're talking about hermeneutics, how to interpret the Bible. And they've learned it's important to ask good questions of the text. This man has some good hermeneutics. He's exegeting. He says, who is this about? Good question. (laughs) The question in the moment. And then in verse 35, Luke says, Philip opened his mouth. When you see that phrase, opened his mouth, that, 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 that was a way in this culture that, that that cued you, that tipped you off, something profound is coming. <laughs> Listen up. Philip opened his mouth. I think there's an important reminder here for us that as important as it is for us to live for Jesus, people must hear about Jesus. As our mission statement says, we don't merely demonstrate the power of the gospel, we proclaim the power of the gospel. We, we, like Philip, must open our mouths and tell the good news of Jesus. Faith, Romans 10, comes by hearing, not watching. You don't learn the, 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 the saving power of the gospel, faith comes by hearing. And how will others hear if we do not open our mouths and tell them? So, so, so at this point in the story, there's a great reminder for us. Live for Jesus by all means. That's called sanctification. But don't stop there. Let's open our mouths this week and tell others about Jesus. And that's exactly what Philip did. He didn't have a relationship with this guy. He didn't know this man. He had no no idea what to expect. Philip is just like you and I. He has fears. He has insecurities. It's not easy necessarily to just go up and interrupt someone's world. But he did. And when he did, he gave this eunuch exactly what he needed. Jesus. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Isaiah 53 focuses on Christ's substitutionary death for sinners. You could sum it up this way. He stood in my place. That's what Isaiah 53 is all about. The smart guys call it vicarious atonement. He stood in my place. And Philip connects the dots of Jesus standing in his place in Isaiah 53 to The man Jesus, who not too long ago was walking around in Jerusalem. He took his cue from what the Ethiopian was thinking about. He took his cue from the text and he made a beeline for the cross, preaching the gospel to... To the eunuch. When, when when Luke writes there in verse 35, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's shorthand for explaining how Jesus fulfilled Isaiah 53. No doubt he 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 explained how Jesus was born, born of a virgin, how he was a man just like the two of them. How he grew up. But there was something different about him. He was the sinless savior. He was God in flesh. He was the one that was promised to Abraham. He was the one that David as a type pointed forward to. He was the one that would come and fulfill the law that you read about. As you read in Isaiah 53 about this one who was rejected by men. This one who was crushed by God himself. Let me tell you who that's about. It's about Jesus of Nazareth. Do you remember hearing about the one who was crucified, who came saying, I am, I am, I am, I am the bread of life, I am the resurrection, I am the way, anyone who comes to God must come to me, I am. If you have seen the Father in heaven, if you have seen Yahweh, Ethiopian, the one that you know so much about, the one that you have traveled to Jerusalem to worship, if you've seen him, you've seen me, if you've seen me, you've seen him. Because he and I are one. But God came in flesh to stand in your place, to do just what Isaiah 53 said. And that's the answer to the how and the when. You can't make yourself clean, Ethiopian. It doesn't matter how far up the court you are for the queen. You can't buy favor from God. You can't keep the rules enough to get access into the inner temple. You look to Jesus. Jesus came and lived for your righteousness because you are unclean. And it has nothing to do with rituals and rules. It has to do with your heart, which is racked with sin. And so you only deserve God's wrath It's not about being a Gentile Ethiopian. It's okay if you're from Africa. It's okay if your skin is a different color. It's okay if your language isn't the same. It's okay if your culture looks different because of the one who came in Isaiah 53 and stood in your place. And he's alive, by the way. He was raised from the dead. We stood and watched him give us this mission. He told us that the gospel would go. He told us that the gospel would go to places like your home. And at some point, he must have called the Ethiopian to repent and believe. What a tremendous day this was. And listen, do you notice, beginning with the scriptures, in other words, beginning with Isaiah 53, he told him about Jesus. Don't overlook that. That's important. There's a tremendous example for us here. Oftentimes, our non-Christian friends, they know something of the Bible, and they even have questions about the Bible. The Bible's not necessarily a foreign book to most people. And they'll probably ask you their questions if they know you're a believer. And when they ask, it can be tempting to, absor- to get absorbed in doctrinal intricacies that <laughs> they have no idea what they mean. And honestly, it could become a stumbling block for some. It's easy to get wrapped up in historical arguments. End time positions. It's easy to get wrapped up in ecclesiastical procedures. So here's the question. When they ask, can I, do I move people's questions about God and the Bible to the good news of the gospel? Whether it's creation, end times, genealogies, good morals? Can I? Do I connect it all to Jesus? Have you noticed the pattern in Acts from Peter and Stephen's sermon to the masses to Philip's one-on-one witness to the church that early believers connected Scripture to the Savior? That's all Peter did. He just gave them their biblical history. Same with Stephen. They always move the conversation toward who Jesus is and what he has done. You know where they learned that? They learned that from the Savior himself. Do you remember Luke 24? After his resurrection, the road to Emmaus, they didn't know who he was. And Jesus and Luke says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that is the scriptures, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus made a beeline to himself. He used scripture to connect it to himself. Listen, the only knowledge that saves is the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we must open our mouths and connect everything to Jesus. Can I? Can you? Do we? Not perfectly, but are we growing in that? Are we thinking that way? Philip did. Philip did. And the eunuch believed, because in the very next verses, he is baptized and he returns home to Africa, verse 39 Rejoicing. You know the things I love about Philip here? He didn't let the spectacle and the disappointment of Simon, who made a false profession, was even He didn't let that affect him. He He didn't even let it affect, let's baptize you. Because Philip knew. Repent and believe and be baptized. He didn't let his past experiences get in the way. He didn't let Simon and what happened there, maybe the personal embarrassment, get in the way of preaching Christ. He wasn't disappointed. He wasn't disillusioned. He continued listening to the Lord, and he preached Christ. And the grand implication of this moment in a desolate, dusty desert, is this providentially ordered one-on-one encounter with a ritually unclean Gentile was a momentous moment in the advancement of the gospel, the building of the church, as it fulfills the promise of Acts 1.8, the gospel bursts forth to Africa, the known ends of the earth. God had a plan, and Philip was listening. Are we? Am I? Listen, we we, we won't always understand God's ways. I'm sure Philip had questions in his mind. There will be times when God calls you to do something that just doesn't make sense to you, and I, I believe Philip probably at least thought, what, wait a minute, there's so much going on in Samaria. And the point here is not that as Christians we're called to be irrational. It means exactly what Proverbs says it means. When it says the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We plan, but we realize it's the Lord directing us key to our sanctification and our witness is to be like Philip here in a sense, to allow our lives and our well-laid plans to be interrupted and directed by the Spirit for the sake of the salvation of others. Yes, even spontaneously. Spontaneously. I believe that there is, I was telling, this, telling Tim this this morning, I believe there is so much grace in our church as it relates to building relationships with unbelievers for the purpose at some point to be able to share Christ with them. We, we hear stories all the time about the hurting neighbor and providing and just coming alongside of them and loving on them and, and it killing them with kindness, if you will. Hoping. And always looking for that opportunity to share Christ with them. I think there's grace in our church in that regard. I thank God for that. I commend you for that. I love that about our church. I pray that continues. But as one commentator put it, Christians must not miss the promptings of God's spirit to initiate Spontaneous conversations in unforeseen circumstances. This happened to me a while back. It's Saturday evening. I am way behind in my sermon. I am at a Starbucks cranking away. And two men, an older man, a younger man, sitting at the end of the table begin to hear them, and apparently this older gentleman, I don't know if he was a rabbi or what, but, but he's discipling this younger man in the finer tenets of Judaism, and at some point, the older man leaves, and this younger man begins to keep reading the book that they were using. And I've got a sermon to finish because I've got to preach tomorrow morning And as I'm typing, the spirit of the Lord is saying to me in my heart, talk to this guy. Ask him what he's reading. Take an interest in it. It wasn't audible. It was the spirit of the Lord. You know how you know, I think the spirit of the Lord, you can't describe it. but I'm fighting it. My self-sufficiency's kicking in. I-, I gotta get this sermon done. My fear of man's kicking in. That was a pretty heady conversation. I, I was kind of, I don't know if I can go toe-to-toe with this kid. He seems pretty educated. Voice again. Okay, come on, Lord, really? And I fought it. My laziness, my fear, my self centeredness, it was all there. But God won. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> what are you reading? And we began to talk about the Hebrew understanding of Sheol. This kid knew plenty. about 10 minutes into the car, I'm asking questions. I'm challenging some assertions that he's making. And at some point I said, how do you think Jesus fits into all of this? Jesus? And we talked for an hour and a half. He didn't under he, he had the gospel was way out of he had his own gospel. It was taking them nowhere but to hell. Little did I know, an older gentleman and his wife sitting at it was a long table, it was long tables there on the other end. They were listening. And about an hour in, he walks over and says, hey, can I join the debate? And I said, well, it's not a debate. (laughs) But yeah, you're welcome to join in. Pull up a chair. And he pulls up a chair, and he joins in. And now this guy's getting tag-teamed with the gospel. Now it's not just me telling him he's wrong. This man's a Christian. and now he's jumping in spontaneously. <laughs> no relationship. We didn't know this guy. We didn't know where this was going. We didn't plan this when we walked into Starbucks. I had to get. It was like nine o'clock. I still got a sermon to finish. So I duck out. And at some point before I left, this guy asked me, I, I gave him a card. And an hour and a half later, so we're talking 10.30, my phone rings. It's this guy's wife. No, it wasn't 10.30. That's too late because Starbucks wouldn't have been open. Whatever it was, it was late. It was like an hour after I had left. It's his wife. Hey, I just wanted to thank you for starting up a conference. We're still here, and my husband is still talking to him about Christ. We just want to thank you for starting the conversation. Now I have no idea what happened to this guy, but he heard about Christ. Myself and this other man—it doesn't always work. I got plenty of failure stories, by the way. Come on, buy me lunch, and I'll tell you about them. But in this moment, by the grace of God, even in all my fighting, I was able to to submit to the Lord's directing. Who knows what happened to this young man? But God has a plan. And I just need to listen and be willing to submit my fears and my plans and my priorities to his. And listen, be sure this is not a personality thing. I'm not an extrovert, okay? I'm not Tim Lambrose. You ever go out with Tim Lambrose to get a cup of coffee, stand in line? He will talk to anybody who will listen. That's that's not me. But you know what? can't let my personality get in the way of God's mission. Our personality, your personality, may make it more difficult for you in those spontaneous moments, but hear this. Your personality, although it may make it more difficult, never, ever, ever absolves your obedience to the voice of the Spirit that says, talk to that person. Tell them about Jesus. When we use our personality, our busyness, our effectiveness, well, you really need a relationship to do effective evangelism. Bunk. That's a good way to go. That's probably where most of our evangelism is going to happen. But you don't need a good relationship. And Acts 8 teaches us that. God has more ways of evangelizing and calling his people to himself. But when we do that, when we use those things as an excuse, we end up quenching the Spirit. And when we quench the Spirit... Even in the moment and like that, we, we miss the opportunities to experience his grace and power and to see his glory. So, three simple ways to prepare your heart to listen and speak, and these are gonna be fast. You can look for them on the blog Wednesday. One, when you go somewhere, I don't care where it is, remind yourself, whatever reason I am here for, The greatest reason I'm here for is to bear witness to Jesus. Do I leave room for that? Because there's no higher reason for me to be where I am right now, doing what I'm doing, but to bear witness to Jesus. Second, pray. When you walk in the door to anywhere, pray, Lord, fill me with your spirit to be your instrument. Use me. Use me as you will. Thirdly, engage redemptively, more than a sympathetic ear or enthusiastic interest or stimulating conversation or political banter, that person needs Jesus. Listen and connect the dots. It's not up to you. The Spirit saves, but God uses it. Somewhere out there, somewhere out there, sometime this week, God has someone waiting for you. They're scared. They're lost. They're fearful. They're angry. They're discouraged and disappointed. And they're looking for love. Sorry in all the wrong places. (laughs) They're waiting. God has a plan. And because the gospel mission is his mission, because the plan of salvation is his plan, because building the church is his responsibility, you know what that means for us as we go out there? It means that we can have confidence and freedom to be Phillips listening to him and opening our mouths to tell about Jesus wherever, whenever, and whomever he leads us to.